Good morning, everybody. How are you doing? I'm Doug Meyer, one of your associate pastors. Welcome also to our friends who are at home watching online. We're glad you're with us. Just a um, quick word. I got to go 10 years ago to Mozambique, and some of those faces look familiar, and some of those uh, fields look familiar. And it's, it's beyond our understanding to know what they go through to raise a crop over there. Uh, water is walked miles one at a time. Kids walk with these great big buckets on their head. They use the most rudimentary of tools. And uh, gosh, I just hope we can do whatever we can do uh, to help them. So, okay, enough about that. So I have a, a question for you. Do you like rules? We all like rules, right? It's when they take care of us. The world needs rules, right? What would the world be like without rules? Growing up in our house, the Meyer family had rules. We had unspoken rules, which you're just supposed to know about, right? The unspoken are the ones that'll get you sometimes. But we had them on everything, how to do life with other people, how to be nice, how to be kind, how to be fair, how to act in a restaurant, how to act at the dinner table, how to act in traffic, uh, how to treat your brother, how to treat your sister, how to treat the stranger. We loved us some rules. Did you have those kind of rules at your house? We especially had rules around the dinner table. We had a defined time. Dinner was at 6 o'clock. Why? Well, because Dad got home at 5.30. It took him that long to take his uniform off, get cleaned up, and come to the dinner table. And nothing got in the way of you being in your spot at dinner time. It was interesting. I had two older, an older sister and a younger sister, and Everybody had their seat. Dad sat at the head of the table. Sister sat over here. I sat kind of close to dad. And I didn't realize for the longest time that it was within arm's reach. <laughs> you can imagine, as the only son and mischievous son, I had a lot of things I had to work out, especially with my sisters across from me. But we had plenty of how to be at the table rules. Did y'all have those? It goes without saying, of course, that before you come to dinner, you, have, you do what? You wash your hands. I, uh, I was a bit notorious, and I don't know, I'm, I'm all for clean hands, don't get me wrong, but I would go in the bathroom and just stand there and turn the faucet on. You did that too, didn't you? And, um, you know, when you're five, you think you can just pull anything over your mom or dad. Of course, you know, I still had, you know, the dirt from being outside playing under my nails and frequently I would be marched, Douglas. Whenever I did something like that, I, was, I became Douglas. When they liked me a lot, I was Dougie. But uh, otherwise, uh, don't eat with your what? Hands. Don't wipe your mouth with your sleeve. I don't know why we have sleeves if they're not there for wiping. Use your manners. When you ask for something, say, please and thank you. Y'all went to the same school. Keep your what off the table? I still don't understand that one exactly. I, I, there must be, I don't know why we can't eat with our elbows on the table. Chew with your mouth closed. Wait till everyone has started. Wait till everyone is served before you. Yeah. See, aren't rules a good thing? We all just live so much better. I got to tell you a funny story about it. I was going to tell you this a second ago. So, um, you know, uh, we raised twin boys. 
And they were just a project all the time, and especially around all of these rules. They were like anti-rule boys. And they did all the stuff. They wiped their face with their sleeve, and they ate with their hands. And one of my favorite memories, though, is they had a running commentary, like if you cooked something that they really liked, they hummed during dinner. It was like this slow, like you're feeding the machinery, and you just heard this like, hum, hmm, hmm, hmm. And you would point it out, and they had no idea they were making that. But as the food was going in, and they were really happy, um, mm, 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 mm. And of course, they would take great offense if they heard me saying that to you today. In addition to food, manner rules and food rules, we also had rules about who you hung out with. Do y'all have any rules like that? Be careful, Douglas, who you go hanging out with. You don't want to see, be seen in the wrong crowd. There are some fun sayings on the internet, of course, about this. You might know these. If you lie down with dogs, you're going to get up with fleas. Very good. If you eat dinner with the devil, if you dine with the devil, you should have a long spoon. I don't really know what that's about. A man or woman is known by the company he keeps. So growing up, um, I was such a rule follower until my senior year in high school, and then I broke loose. And this, is, this will tell you how much I broke loose. I started dating a girl that smoked. <laughs> yes, I did. Yes, I did. She had her own little car. She smoked. She was in theater. Her name was the Duchess. Mm-hmm. The other thing that sent my mom over the edge is she was Catholic. A Catholic smoking hot, hot I mean smoking <laughs> girl named Duchess. It lasted about half a year up until prom and we went to prom together but we went home separately. I know, I was brokenhearted. My mom, was, my mom probably paid her off and said, leave my sweet little son alone. I know this isn't memory lane, but I'll tell you one more funny story that made my mom lose her mind. So for Valentine's Day, our spring year, our senior year, Duchess gave me a, a plaster of Paris crucifix of Jesus that she had painted, and then from his heart, she had dripping blood everywhere. That was pre-Goth, I think, even, but... Uh, if y'all had known Ruthie Meyer, you would just know that she, even right now in heaven, is like, I can't believe you're telling that story, Douglas. So rules, they are meant to keep order. They're meant to keep things and sometimes people in their right place, right? What's all this have to do with Jesus and the dinner table? Everything to do. Because in a minute, we're going to read a text where Jesus takes somebody else's rules and kind of flips them on their head. So our story starts um, right around the uh, middle of Luke 5. If you have that, go ahead and turn to it. But let me give you a little warm-up. So in Luke 4, Jesus is beginning to announce the kingdom of God. He says in Luke 4, 43, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God, for I was sent for this purpose. So in very subtle ways, Luke is beginning to introduce to us this idea of the kingdom of God and beginning to interject... Um, what is already this kind of anti-establishment mindset of Jesus. The powers at be at that day and time, Pharisees and the Jews and others were very, uh, had a very clear understanding of what the kingdom of God was gonna be like. And 
Much of it was built around a purity culture and very strict rules about who's in and who's out and who can do this and who can't do that. And we're going to talk some more about those in just a minute. But so here comes Jesus recruiting. Right off the bat, he recruits fishermen, Simon Peter, James, and John. Just good old tradesmen, right? And in the text, when he invites them to follow, it says, they left everything and followed him. Hold on to that thought. Then along the way, he comes upon a man covered in leprosy and heals him. Lepers are unclean. Remember that. A little bit later, he, he was teaching in a house, and some friends really wanted to get their friend in front of Jesus. The friend was paralyzed, and so what did they do? Y'all know the story. They loaded him up, took him on the roof, broke through the roof, and lowered him down, and the story ends with him being paralyzed. Paralyzed goes without saying, but it, he was paralyzed because he was unclean, and because he was unclean, he was paralyzed, and probably his parents and family as well. So... You're beginning to see kind of this counterculture thing that is going on here with Jesus. Turn with me, if you would, to Luke, uh, Luke 5, 27. I'll read to you. After this, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax collection station, and he said to him, follow me. And he, the tax collector, got up, left everything, and followed him. Then Levi gave a great banquet for him in his house. And there was a large crowd of tax collectors and others reclining at the table with them. Hmm. The Pharisees and their scribes were complaining to his disciples, Jesus' disciples, saying, why does he eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered, answered them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Our friends, this is the word of God. For the people of God, thanks be to God. Let's pray. Gracious and holy God, uh, may your Holy Spirit work in and through me as we explore this text. Amen. There's some interesting little things or big things that happen in that text. So Levi, who will then later on be called Matthew and so forth and so on, you'll hear more about that later. Sitting there at the tax collection station, Jesus said to him, follow me, and the text says, he got up and left everything and followed him. What we don't know, and we have the creative liberty to decide is, what does that mean really? Did he just kind of like pivot and go, hey guys, watch my stuff, I'll be back in a minute? Or did he leave everything? We know from the previous story where he asked Simon, Peter, James, and John to come and follow him, what did they do? They left everything. Everything meant everything, their way of life, their income, their tribe, their to follow Jesus. That's pretty bold, wouldn't you say? Let's talk a minute about tax collectors. Anybody in here have a family member who works for the IRS? This is not about them. I just thought I'd take a, I need a little help later on, something on the side, but... Um, Tax collectors were considered enemy number one. Every bad word you can think of was used to describe a tax collector. 
Tax collectors were independent contract employees who worked for the government to go around and collect taxes. And there were taxes, you think you have bad taxes, there were taxes on everything, which is how the government was, what? Funded. If you had a two-cart tax, you were taxed that you had two wheels. If you had a four-wheel uh, cart, you were taxed on four carts. If it had two baskets, if it had this, if it had that, if you were going from one side to town to the other, you, kind of like we who live up in Plano, everything is a tax or toll way. Later on in Luke 18, the Pharisee describes tax collectors as such. He says, the Pharisee standing by himself was praying thus, God, thank you that I'm not like other people, thieves and rogues and adulterers or even a tax collector. Tax collectors were not well loved. So you can imagine then the scene that is caused when this tax collector throws a party and who goes to the house for the party, for the dinner, for the banquet? Jesus. Jesus, what are you, what are you doing and hanging out with that crowd? You can only imagine, right? Tax collectors, uh, I imagine, probably had one of the nicer houses on the block. Real big, open lawn, people could kind of come and see who was going and, well, they couldn't have help, but here, there's a big event going on. The Pharisees were excited and kind of jumped at any opportunity to poke at this guy named Jesus and what's, what's up with him and all the, the riffraff. They were there having dinner. And dinner in those days and times wasn't just, uh, hey, we're gonna call Domino's and have pizza or do this or run here to Uber Eats. It was an event, it was just almost a sacred ritual, a holy moment, because everything about dinner was conditioned and supported by the purity rules. You want some interesting reading this afternoon, go to uh, Leviticus chapter 11 and kind of lay these out. But everything about everything about everything to do with dinner had a rule. All the way back to what crop could be planted, where and when and how it was supposed to be harvested, and what livestock could be grown and how it would be slaughtered for mealtime, and how it was cleaned up after it was slaughtered, and how the meat was readied or not, and what meat was the right meat to eat when and where, and what pot was the right pot to cook it in, and what utensil was the right utensil. You get the the idea? That is how you're supposed to do it in that group. But there Jesus is leaning across the table with a room full of dirty sinners. They reclined in those days at banquets and they took what they needed to out of the bowls with their hands and oh my gosh, your Messiah put his hand in that bowl and touched that unclean Sinner's hands? There is something wrong here, said the Pharisees. Jesus heard that and said, I haven't come for you. Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. That's a bit of a puzzling phrase, isn't it? Jesus kind of just was poking at him, saying, you're all well, I'm not, I'm not here for you. So in and of that day and time, 
religious rules, purity rules, were used to keep people in their place. They were used to keep the wrong people on the wrong side of town and the right people on the right side of town. So I'll tell you, I really struggled with this text this week because y'all know me and I like kind of have fun when I preach and well, there's just not a lot of opportunities for fun there is, in my mind, a really kind of clear and challenging, you might use the word convicting, lesson in the midst of all of this. Could this great big banquet dinner table full of sinners be a snapshot of the kingdom of God? Are, are those, those people included in the kingdom of God? Dutch theologian Henry Nouwen said, hospitality is not to change people, but to offer them space where change can take place. You know, part of what we know about from scripture is, well, they just went in that and sat down and had dinner with Jesus. He didn't say, are you, show me your hands. Are they clean? He didn't say, where do you go to church? He didn't say, have you been following all the rules? Do you have perfect attendance at church? Do you? He didn't say anything except, let's have dinner. I wonder, what's, I wonder what's for dinner. I read that and I can't help but be a little bit convicted because like I said, I, I kind of like rules and I like people who follow the rules and darn it, Jesus is not necessarily abiding by all the rules. Is he? I imagine... Well, what if we were to do that? And what if, man, what if, what if we got as brave as Jesus and said, we're just going to have a great big dinner with all the sinners in town? Well, I was talking this over with Wendy, and she said, so what, why are you so perplexed? And I said, well, what would we talk about at dinner? Because I'm a rule follower, and I've invited all these sinners into my house. Her eyes rolled. What if they need something? What if, what if I've set the table and they need more than, what if they need a coat? Or what if they, what if they don't have a place to spend the night? Do we, we're not really supposed to let them sleep in our guest room, are we? What if, oh my gosh, they've come to my house and now they know my home address. They're going to show up all the time when they need something. And you know, we don't really have anything in common, so I don't know. I don't know what I am supposed to do with this. Do y'all? So I can't help again but think, like Jesus always does, so Dougie Meyer, pay attention here. And so I, I look at the storyline and I look at the characters in there and I try to figure out who, who in here has a story for me to learn from. Man, I would love to go to dinner with Jesus, wouldn't you? Jesus says, everybody's welcome. So that's a story for me. Because I, like many of you, am a sinner. And to be received at dinner with Jesus, that would just be an amazing experience, wouldn't it? And then I think about the tax collectors. Well, surely none of us are tax collectors, right? We're all everybody's buddies. We don't do anything to keep anybody else down or oppressed or benefit from somebody else's misfortune. So we'll just let them out of the story altogether. What do you say? We'll let them be somebody else's problem. 
And then we come to these guys, the Pharisees. I have a lot in common with the Pharisees, I gotta admit. I like rules, they like rules. I like people who are in and obey the rules, they like people who are in and obey the rules. I like things to go the way they're supposed to go, they like the way things are supposed to go. I don't know. What do you think? I suspect, at times, all of us, and if you are included in us, that's your prerogative, we tend to be more pharisaical than followers. We tend to accumulate lists of what is good and bad and right and wrong, and and I'm happy to point out the sinners in the crowd. How about you? I think about that, and I think about then, okay, so Dougie Meyer feels pretty convicted, and y'all don't want me to feel convicted all alone, do you? Is there a message in here for you and for me and for Treach and for the church at large? I think there just might be. Maybe sometimes when we gather, it's more of a convention of Pharisees than it is followers. Maybe. Maybe we should be more about inviting active sinners, because we're not an active sinner. We're a rehabilitated sinner. So uh, shouldn't this room be fuller of sinners? More full? How's that word? Full, fuller, fullest? Yeah. Full of sinners. But maybe somehow we have kind of whitewashed it so well that the sinners don't want to come close. So maybe we should be more about taking God's grace to people who are homeless and hungry. You know, we have that even here in Flower Mound, Louisville, right? We have high school kids who sleep in their car every night because for whatever reason, their families have been evicted for whatever reason. And they get up in the morning and they go to gym and shower and go to class. Wait a minute. That's... We have rules. That's not supposed to be happening in our community. Friends, I have a feeling that if we were uh, more invitational to the people at the banquet, there would be more people in this room who don't look like you and me. I'm just saying. I wish I had a real feel good. Well, wait a minute. There is a feel good. We are all welcome to Jesus' house tonight for dinner. I don't care what you've done. I don't care what I've done. Jesus is going to have a great dinner tonight. And in that dinner, there is grace abounding for all of us, every last sinner in this room. And I have a feeling over dinner, we're going to talk about how we might be more active in going out and feeding the hungry and healing the sick and visiting the prisoner and clothing the naked. I think that might be our task. Gracious and holy God, uh, sometimes your word is convicting. Sometimes the preacher tries to find something in it to make us all feel better and has a hard time doing that. God, help me and help us continue to explore what it means to be your messengers of hope in a hungry and hurting world. In your name, amen. Friends, thank you for all the ways that uh, you and I step out of our pharisaical Pharisaical, whatever, syndrome. It doesn't matter what it is. We know how to spell it and say it, don't we? Through your giving, through your actions, through your 
acts of love and kindness, those are all appreciated.